a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. It's hard to believe we are less than two weeks away from uh, Christmas. I don't know about you. I, I am not feeling the Christmas spirit yet. Don't have the tree up. Got to go get the tree. Got to get the decorations. Just, uh, yeah, maybe this week Christmas will kick in. But uh, please tell me I'm not alone in in waiting for the Christmas feelings to arrive. Uh, maybe one of the reasons why I'm just not feeling that uh, that warm, fuzzy feeling is because we're already looking at what uh, anti-gun Democrats are going to do here in 2023 with our right to keep and bear arms. They are the Grinch who stole guns uh, in Illinois, where they are talking about a ban on so-called assault weapons. Yeah, this has been a uh, a, a long-time uh, uh, item on the to-do list of anti-gun Democrats in Illinois, but they've never really felt like they've had the numbers to, to push through a ban statewide because of some you know, fairly rural downstate Democrats who are not on board uh, with the same type of anti-gun machinations that you find from Democrats in and around the Chicagoland area. Unfortunately, Democrats actually added to their numbers in the state legislature back in November, and now they feel like they do have the votes to impose a sweeping gun ban, as well as raising the age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. So you young adults in Illinois would be deprived of your right to keep your arms entirely because you couldn't legally own a firearm until you turned 21. Uh, here to talk about it, Second Amendment advocate, former ISRA board member Mike Wiseman, uh, who has been following what's going on in Illinois very closely. Uh, Mike joined us on the program earlier today to talk about the latest threats to our Second Amendment rights in Illinois. Take a look and a listen. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's good to talk with you today, sir. Good to see you. Sure. Good to see you, too. Thank you. You bet. I, I wish the topic were better, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, Illinois being what it is, we've got uh, uh, a, a, an expanded Democrat majority, it looks like, coming into the legislature next session. So they are running full steam ahead with a ban on so-called assault weapons. What can you tell us about the bill that's been introduced? Well, yeah, and they got a super majority. They got a super, super majority. They can they can lose people and still push this thing through uh, without any uh, without any conservative opposition. Um, the bill, well, it's it's a rehash of what we've seen before. Um, you you might remember uh, you might remember hearing from me two and a half years ago. Um, uh, talking to the state se- the state senator that was sponsoring the bill, uh, if you pay a fine, you get to keep it. Yeah. Well, it they still have that part, and and uh, they changed it up a little bit, and they they thrown uh, thrown some curveballs in there that make it worse. And um, I don't remember if there was specifically a 50 caliber ban in, in the other one. I, I don't have a 50 cal. I'll be honest. I can't afford one. <laughs> I can't afford one yet. Right. And, uh, um, uh, but your 50 caliber, uh, rifle is banned. Uh, if you pay a fine, you get to keep it. Um, but your 50 caliber ammo is banned and you don't get to keep it. There's no provision for keeping that. You're, your standard capacity magazines that hold ten round or that hold more than ten rounds for uh, for anything except rimfire. Any any magazine for center fire ammo that holds more than ten rounds for anything is banned. 
No grandfather clause, no right? Grandfather so if, clause. if you've got them, you got to so, get rid of them, turn yeah. them over, do whatever. Exactly. So this, uh, the, 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 the sponsor of the bill, the person who introduced the bill, Bob Morgan, he was at Highland Park. It was at the Highland Park parade when the shooting took place. So he's emboldened. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to take my rights away because somebody went out and acted the fool. Because somebody went out and did something really evil. Yeah. It really was evil. It was awful. Um, but it's uh, – if you want to stop drunk driving, you don't take away all the cars from the sober people. Well, that's true. You don't also, you know, ban alcohol, um, which is, you know, we, we've gone down that road before we, uh, you know, saw what happened uh, there in the Chicagoland area uh, yeah. when we had prohibition. But, you know, there's also uh, they're talking about raising the age to uh, to obtain a FOID card from 18 to 21. So 18, 19, 20 year olds would not be able to exercise their segment rights at all. Um, and again, you, you go back to the suspect in the Highland Park shooting. This was a guy who. Um, you know, had to have that sign off by his uh, father, apparently, when he obtained his FOID card. But there were all kinds of opportunities, Mike, for law enforcement to step in and and stop this, to actually deal with this suspect, uh, you know, in the criminal all justice true. system or maybe in the mental health system long before the Highland Park shooting ever happened. All true. And when the shooting happened, he, he was 21. Mm -hmm. He was 21. He didn't need anyone's permission to go get that FOID card and there was nothing on the books that would have kept him from getting one because the previous call-ins on his on his uh, on his state on his mental state, the previous run-ins with the police, none of that was recorded. There was no uh, there was no clear and present danger er ever filed with the state, although the police, the local police departments may have talked about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at the state level, they didn't know, and laws were put in place specifically so that they could know. So now we're going to make, because that law didn't work, we're going to make more laws and we're going to, we're going to punish everyone. But you got to wonder, I, I don't think that Bob Morgan really thinks in his heart of hearts that this bill's going to pass. I think he knows that this bill's going to pass, or if it does pass, it's going to get struck down for him. It's the whole theater of going through the motion of, getting something like this passed so that they can go back when it gets thrown out or if it doesn't pass, they can go back and blame all oh, the evil conservatives. Oh, oh, the terrible, terrible gun owners. But in fact, when you take, when you take uh 25% of the population and make them criminals overnight, if you pass this piece of legislation, it's not good public policy. No, it's not. And listen, Mike, I, you know, I, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here, oh, but yeah. uh, you take a look at what, is happening in the criminal justice system. I ran across a story from, I think it might've been the Springfield area earlier today. Guy uh, is in his van, parked in his driveway, um, pulls out his gun for whatever reason and starts banging away, starts firing shots. Uh, this guy had lost his FOID card two years earlier. So he ends up charged with a litany of offenses, but prosecutors offer him a plea deal. Uh, he accepts it. And so now he's going to serve, I think it's a year and a half worth of probation. Uh, th th you know, th this is what happens oftentimes. We say we need these laws on the books, right? That we got to have these common sense laws that will save lives. And then when it comes to actually enforcing these laws, what we see are it's a slap on the wrist. Even for violent offenders, they're quickly returned to the streets. And and the the real impact is felt on those 
peaceable gun owners who who simply want to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And um, there, you know, since they last tried to pass an, a semi-auto ban, I'm not going to call it what they call it because I believe when you control the language, you can control the outcome. And um, but the last time they they tried to uh, pass a semi-auto ban like this, we did not have the New York Rifle and Pistol Association uh, versus Bruin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we've got our third big time uh, Supreme Court win. Uh, and, and this one is, again, just like Heller and just like McDonald, it's going to change the legal landscape. And uh, I, I think that Bob Morgan and the other uh, the, the other liberal legislators in the Illinois State House would just like to pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah. He's a lawyer. Uh, most of the legislators are lawyers. They know about this. They've they've had a chance to to read it if they wanted to, and uh, um, yet still they're going to go through with this and they're going to go and jump through hoops. Well, they are, and and again, as you say, with a supermajority, the numbers are there. They can lose some downstate Democrats. They will lose some downstate Democrats. I think, uh, frankly, I I don't think this is going to be a, a unanimous vote from every uh, Democrat in the state legislature. But as you say, they've probably got the votes to ram this through. So now we start talking about litigation, uh, and I know that there's going to be no shortage. We've got you know over a half dozen lawsuits in New York right now. We've got, I think, five in Oregon. Uh, I am sure we're going to be seeing multiple lawsuits filed in Illinois if this bill becomes law. Uh, but in the meantime, Mike, I- I'm curious, you know, because we've seen in Oregon, the state police, for instance, uh, after Measure 114 passed, they said gun sales increased by like 500 percent. Um, I, I suspect that when the news starts getting out about this uh, uh, pending semi-auto ban in Illinois, we're going to see the same thing happen there. H- has that started to happen already? Are, are, are gun owners aware of what's going on? Um, are, are they informed? Are they engaged? And are they reacting already? I don't know if they're I don't know if they're rushing for the counter at the gun store just yet. An important thing here to realize is that um, the, the as the as this legislation is written, the effective date of this legislation is when the governor signs it. So once the governor signs this, uh, you've got a gun store, you've got inventory, you're stuck with it. You've got a gun store, you've got magazines, you're stuck with them. Gun owners, with your magazines, you are you are now uh, a felon who hasn't been charged yet. Um, your semi-automatic uh, rifles that they're gonna uh, that they're gonna fine you for if you want to keep them. Um, those you have, I don't remember if it's 180 days, 300 any days. That those those there's a there's a clock ticking on those when they sign the bill. But sales, uh, manufacture, delivery, um, all that comes to a grinding halt as soon as the governor inks it. All right. Mike, listen, I, I appreciate uh, you joining us on the program, giving us Can an we update. Can go a little more? Yeah, please. Can we go a little more? I got I got go a couple a more. Of things to say about this that weren't part of the uh, uh, what what you might have had scheduled or planned, but um, in in a, in a large sense, this says a lot about America. About uh, people people wonder if we if we have if, you know if we're going to have a uh, any kind of a civil conflict in America. Is, is it going to be a war? Well. There certainly is a cultural conflict, and all wars grow out of this. And 
lastly, I'm going to say, gun or what can gun owners do about this bill? Well, they can they can call their legislators and they can stay connected. If you're if you're not connected now, get online, uh, read the boards, read the forums, and there are also things that gun owners should not do about this bill, and that is don't microanalyze this bill. Uh, at least in public. Don't go uh, get up on a soapbox with all the technical problems that you might find in this bill if you take the time to read the legislation. Don't help the anti-gun legislators and their anti-gun lobbyists. Don't help them create a better anti-gun bill if when they have to go back to the bench with this thing. You know, that's actually a really interesting point. Uh, Let them make their bed and lie in it, right? Uh, And if they're going to pass something that's uh, indefensible in court, you know, short term, not great for gun owners, but long term, uh, better than they they, they pass something that uh, you're right. They've actually sort of, you know, put some craft and care into something that they uh, believe will, uh, you know, withstand a court challenge. Um, Do do you have any idea, Mike? I know that the hearings for this bill have, uh, have already started. Do you know when they're trying to get this to Pritzker's desk? They are trying to get it to Pritzker's desk as soon as possible. Um, Because uh, shortly in January, they're going to seat a new General Assembly. And this is a bill from the previous, this is a bill from the current General Assembly. So they're either going to have to uh, submit it as new legislation or pull a parliamentary trick like they did when Pritzker first became governor uh, when he went, when, as soon as he was sworn in, they pushed the, uh, Illinois gun dealer licensing bill in front of him for him to sign. And it was a bill from the previous general assembly. It was, uh. it's never been done before. And it, it, no, I don't know if anyone ever challenged it, but it stood, it became, it became an, uh, Illinois public act, part of the Illinois, uh, compiled statutes. Um, yeah, so but they always they, they, they always got some tricks up their sleeve. But he uh, had, the governor has said he wants this in place by July 4th. And some people uh, mis mislistened and took this to mean that he wants to sign it on July 4th. No, he wants this thing as soon as possible. There's what they call a lame duck session. Mm-hmm. It's going to start in January. Uh, and, and that's when they want to do this. Right now, they're having what they call subject matter hearings in committee on the bill. They're not having actually committee hearings on the bill. So there are witness slips that can be signed, but you have to look for them hard. You have to look harder for them than just looking at the, at the bill in the, uh, on the Illinois general assembly website. Uh, okay. You have to go down and you have to look at specific committee hearings where they're talking about subject matter. And then it's subject matter on this bill. One of these, is in uh, is in an hour and forty five minutes uh, downtown. They're having a meeting. To, they're having a hearing today, and they're having another one on the fifteenth. All right. Well, listen, we are going to continue paying close attention to what's going on there in Illinois, and I appreciate uh, all of your activism and you join us on the program today, Mike. It's good to see you again, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We'll be talking yep. again soon. Mike Wiseman joins from the uh, great state of Illinois here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I appreciate Mike joining us on the program. We are going to continue to follow what's going on there in Springfield uh, as lawmakers rush to impose that sweeping gun ban. Trying to get in, uh, you know, that ban as soon as they possibly can, knowing that the courts are likely to uh, to step in and uh, perhaps put a halt uh, to any new 
gun control restrictions that are added to the uh, books there in Illinois. But again, we will be following very closely uh, all of the legislative action. And if you are an Illinois gun owner, I would encourage you stay involved, stay engaged. I know that it's an uphill fight. I know that the deck is stacked against you, but your lawmakers still need to be hearing from you. Uh, before perhaps your attorneys <laughs> contact them to let them know that, yeah, we're suing over these uh, new restrictions. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Iowa, where a uh, man out of prison for just three months has been arrested for allegedly selling methamphetamine. And not just not just a, a little bit of meth. Although even you, I'm not sure that just a little bit of meth is all that uh, okay. 139 uh, doses worth of methamphetamine for the individual who, again, was just released from prison, uh, what, three months ago. Robert Alexander Lovett III, 37 years old, old enough to know better, now charged with one count of possession with the intent to deliver more than five grams of meth. That is a Class B felony under Iowa law and carries a prison sentence of up to 25 years. Now, Lovett, as it turns out, uh, back in 2019, was sentenced to five years on probation for two counts of forgery, two convictions for possession with intent to distribute meth, uh, a conviction of child endangerment, and a theft conviction. Lovett had already violated his probation on one of the earlier forgery cases, as well as one of the meth cases, but a uh, judge, District Judge Tom Rydell, according to the Quad City Times, quote, gave him another chance. And again, sentenced Lovett to probation instead of prison. Lovett violated his probation just two months later. And on July 19th, 2019, Judge Rydell sentenced Lovett to a total of 30 years in prison after the court imposed consecutive sentences on his conviction. That was, again, two and a half years ago that Lovett was sentenced to 30 years in prison. What happened? I don't know. All we know is that he was released from prison on September 12th of this year, placed on work release, and then placed on parole status on November the 10th. Now, you could argue that maybe uh, Lovett's probation violations should not have led to a 30-year prison sentence. But when a judge sentences him to 30 years, and less than three years later, he's already out on the street, I can't be the only one who has questions about that. How does somebody serve a tenth, less than one-tenth, of their sentence before being let loose. And should we really be surprised or shocked when somebody has received repeated slaps on the wrist? Going to send you to probation when you could go to prison. Going to send you to prison, and then I'm going to let you out really early. Should we really be surprised when it doesn't seem like that individual has learned their lesson while they were behind bars? Uh, today's armed citizen story from Bedford County, PA where police say a home intruder was shot and killed over the weekend by the homeowner. This was uh, shortly after 3 a.m. Saturday when uh, dispatchers from 911 were on the phone with the 72-year-old homeowner. The call disconnected, uh, but when the call reconnected, they apparently heard shots fired. When police arrived, they found the alleged intruder, a 22-year-old named Dakota Hall, with a gunshot wound. Police say that Hall passed away. Of his injuries there at the scene, the 72-year-old homeowner uh, taken to a local hospital for injuries that were that he suffered uh, from the much younger man. 
the uh, investigation does continue, but at this point, this does appear to be a clear-cut case of self-defense. A 72-year-old defended himself against a 22-year-old who had no business in the 72-year-old's home. Uh, we don't know if there was any connection or relationship between the two. Uh, but again, police say that this was an act of self-defense, and the 72-year-old, hopefully, is going to fully recover from the injuries he suffered in that assault. Finally today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A New York man who uh, just happened to be driving by the side of the road when he saw a sheriff's deputy struggling with an individual last month and uh, stopped his car, got out, and engaged that uh, individual, helping to put the uh, suspect in custody, Donald D.J. Holdridge uh, was the uh, gentleman in question. That's uh, Mr. Holdridge right there. Uh, and the uh, deputy in question, Ethan Thomas, uh, had only been on the job a couple of years, uh, said he was struggling with this suspect at the time when a, another car pulls up and guy gets out. He said he really wasn't sure what was going on with this other individual at first. He was a little concerned that maybe the guy that pulled up was uh, going to take the side of the man that uh, uh, the deputy was trying to take into custody, but that was not the case. Holdridge uh, described what happened on November the 4th. He said they were standing. All of a sudden, they went on the ground. The guys were fighting. like He was wrestling like crazy. So I got out of my vehicle. I said, hey, sir, my name's DJ. Do you need my help? And he goes, yes, please. Yes, please. So I waited for the opportunity. He said when he was looking away, and I tackled him from the back, and then he went face first on the ground. With Holdridge's help, uh, Deputy Thomas, able to subdue the man, make a call to dispatch to let him know that he had been in a fight. Turns out the man uh, was wanted on a felony drug warrant out of Texas. Um, the Army veteran and the uh, truck driver, Holdridge, says he actually usually doesn't take that route home, but uh, he and his fiance said, well, let's just go down this way uh, as they were headed back from a, a shopping trip. Uh, so again, it really was just a case of being in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Holdridge, presented with the sheriff's commendation for his heroism last week, said that to me, these officers are heroes. And they don't get enough credit every day. I felt like it was my duty in the military. You never leave a fallen comrade. And at this time, nobody was thinking about the awards or accolades. I was worried about that officer's welfare because you're in the middle of nowhere. Well, in the middle of nowhere, but uh, not without friends or at least uh, strangers who can come to your aid. And uh, DJ Holdridge in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to come to the uh, aid of and defense of Deputy Ethan Thomas. We thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com, the website throughout the day, for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. We're watching what's going on in Illinois. We're also watching what's going on in Oregon, where we've got a, another hearing, this time for a uh, an injunction against Measure 114 taking place tomorrow. Meanwhile, the uh, Second Circuit Court of Appeals declaring that New York's Restrictive Concealed Carry Improvement Act uh, can be enforced for the time being. We've uh, got all of those stories and more at Bearing Arms. If you like what you see, maybe not the news stories, but at least how we're covering them, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else, because your support does matter and it does make a difference. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.